So the first Bible reading is from Psalm 119, which is on page 558 of the Church Bible. Starting at verse 17. Deal generously with your servant so that I might live. Then I will keep your word. Open my eyes that I might contemplate wonderful things from your instruction. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. I am continually overcome with longing for your judgments. You rebuke the proud, the ones under a curse, who wander from your commands. Take insult and contempt away from me, for I have kept your decrees. Though princes sit together speaking against me, your servant will think about your statutes. Your decrees are my delight and my counsellors. My life is down in the dust. Give me life through your word. I told you about my life and you listened to me. Teach me your statutes. Help me understand the meaning of your precepts so that I can meditate on your wonders. I am weary from grief. Strengthen me through your word. Keep me from the way of deceit and graciously give me your instruction. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set your ordinances before me. I cling to your decrees. Lord, do not put me to shame. I pursue the way of your commands. You broaden my understanding. I'll be reading from page 1091. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases our God Saviour, our Saviour, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Andy Pierce. I've left my silly hat over in the corner, uh, so not to distract you. Let's uh, pray before we get stuck into this great letter. My life is down in the dust. Give me life through your word. Father, we do pray that you would give us life this morning, that you would breathe on us, that you would speak to us, that you would change us, so that we might be more like your son and bring glory to your name, we pray. Amen. Well, we're in the first seven verses of 1 Timothy 2 this morning, and these verses are designed to get us to pray. See, the thing about prayer is it's difficult, isn't it? It's really difficult. I don't know what your prayer life is, uh, what your prayer life is like, but how did you go with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1? Have a look with me. Have a look with me. 
First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority. How did you go with that? How's your prayer life with that? You might be some little prayer ninja and think that that's a breeze. I was pretty embarrassed when I read verse 1 during the week. I didn't have a clue who Gillian Skinner is on Monday. Um, She's our state member of parliament, in case you didn't know. Um, uh, I'm not a citizen. You are. You can vote. I can't, so you should know. Uh, She's our state member of parliament, and she's now firmly fixed in my Tuesday morning prayer diary. See, when it comes to prayer, I'm pretty sure most of us feel like we could raise our games. Is that you? feel like we we should pray more, pray bigger, pray harder. Prayer's difficult, isn't it, if we're honest? Prayer is really difficult. Prayer's difficult, but prayer also matters. Paul puts uh, this uh, charge to pray right at the top of his letter in chapter 2. He says, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. The reason it's at the top of his list is because it matters. And the reason prayer matters is it works. It works. You see, when Christians start praying, people start getting saved. I watched this YouTube clip during the week of this um, group of Christians in the city of London who uh, dreamt of people being saved in the office blocks around where they worked. Do you know what they started to do? They started to pray. Got down on their knees and they started to pray. They prayed for someone who would uh, preach the gospel in that area. And God gave them someone. They prayed for a building and God gave them a building. They prayed for people to say yes when they invited them to come and hear the gospel. God gave them 500 people a week, week in, week out. Thousands being saved. Perhaps that's how you started to follow Jesus. Perhaps someone started praying for you. Perhaps your friend, your colleague, a family member started praying for you, asking God that you would hear and believe the gospel and come to life. You see, prayer is important because it works. When Christians start to pray, God starts to work and people get saved. Why do we struggle then to pray? Why do we find it such hard work? Why are we always too busy to pray as individuals and as a church? This morning in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, Paul gives us three things to remember, three things to get us back on track if we're struggling to pray, if we've lost our way. Well, firstly, we're to know God's heart. We're to know God's heart that he wants salvation for all. Have a look with me at verses 2 and 3. The reason we're to pray is so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. It's a bit strange, isn't it? This is good and it pleases God our Saviour who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. I quite like the sound of quiet and tranquil. We've got four kids at home. That really 
appeals to me. But Paul isn't talking about creating some kind of club med here in Kirribilli. He says that we are to pray so that the church would be the church. Tranquil and quiet. Literally means tranquil and ordered. And Paul's going to go on to say a lot about what it means to be a tranquil and ordered church. It's to be tranquil and quiet, godly and dignified. Which be, if you like, this kind of trophy cabinet of saved sinners. Trophy cabinet of saved sinners, pleasing to God. To be a church formed by the gospel, a church that holds out the gospel with a heart that knows God's heart. God's heart is there in, in our verse, wanting everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. The problem with the Ephesian church was that it, it had forgotten God's heart. Forgotten God's heart. It was meant to be like this lifeboat, holding out the gospel, seeing saved people saved from hell. It's meant to be this lifeboat. But these false teachers had turned the Ephesian church into a sailing club. It wasn't a lifeboat. It was a sailing club, concerned with the club rules, concerned with dress code and talking rubbish. It wasn't quiet and tranquil. It was volatile and nasty. It didn't look to save anyone. It took the Old Testament and made it into this church that was all elitist and inaccessible and for the super people. Instead of saving people, we learnt last week that Christians were shipwrecked. They fell away from Jesus. Shipwrecked on the rocks, Timothy says. Paul says, See, that's what happens when you forget the heart of God. Things become a mess in God's church. To be pleasing to God, to be the church that floats God's boat, we don't just need to know God's heart, we need to have God's heart. We need to really have God's heart. Scientists, I read this week, that scientists have proved that when you're in love, two hearts really become one. Romantic, isn't it? So you literally, when you sit next to the person you love, your vital signs start to sync up and your hearts beat in time together. We should be like that with God, shouldn't we? Our hearts beating in sync with God's, wanting what he wants. Whether you, no, uh, whether you want what he wants. I, I wonder whether your, uh, our, uh, your mission is the same as his mission. His desire is to see all saved. To see all saved. And that's what should be beating in us as we live day in, day out as God's church. Robert uh, Murray McShane, the great Robbie Murray McShane said, a man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. What he's saying is that our prayers show us what we long for. Our prayers show us what we long for. And when we have God's heart, we will be transformed. And so will our prayers. When we have God's heart, when we know the gospel, when we believe the gospel, when we desire the same as what God desires, we'll be convinced that God wants your unbelieving dad to be saved. 
We'll want our scary boss or our scary colleague to know Jesus. We want that atheist guy that we know that's really annoying to be in a hive group with us. How awkward would that be? You see, if God's desire is our desire, then we will pray God prayers for all people to be saved, even the prickly ones. My dad doesn't know Jesus. Um, He's probably the person I'd least expect to become a Christian. If I was a betting man, I think I'd put my money on him winning a gold medal in something like, I don't know, um, a synchronized swimming in the Olympics rather than becoming a Christian. Never shown any, any interest in Jesus. He's never talked, really wanted to talk about Jesus with Kim and I. There is nothing that shows me that he wants, he will become a Christian. Have a look at 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 again. God tells me that he wants him. He wants my dad to be saved. He wants him in his church. He wants him in his church. And if I want that, then I need to be praying. I need to be praying because prayer matters. And prayer works. See, I don't just need to pray. You know, you can get into that mode where uh, you've got your list of prayers that you pray in the morning and you rattle through them. I need to not just tick off my prayers. I need to pray with God's heart, knowing what God, God really wants, with real certainty and expectation that God will take my dad as his child. Of course, there's no... No guarantee that he'll become a Christian. We just have to look at the parable of the soils. We just have to look at Jesus' evangelistic success rate in the Gospels. He's not very good in the way of results. But God wants my dad no less. God wants my dad no less. And so should I. I need God's heart. We need God's heart. You'll have people in your life like my dad people that you don't expect to become a Christian. Perhaps Gillian Skinner is in your life. The challenge from this passage is that we would have God's heart for those people. We can easily persuade ourselves, can't we, that, that God somehow doesn't want them to be saved. We've tried talking to them, we've been praying for them, and we haven't seen much fruit. Or we think that God can't save them. Friends, that's just not true. It's just not true. And it is no reason not to pray for them. I used to meet in a a pod with um, some blokes a number of years ago. And we'd all go around and we'd pray for a friend of each of ours. And we'd pray for this bloke. And I remember him because he had a weird name. I won't say his name in case he listens to the tape. But he had this weird name, and we must have been praying for him for 18 months. Each time, my friend would say, pray for this bloke. And we'd ask him each week, how did that conversation go? How did the beer go? Did you invite him to Christianity Explored? And each week, the answer would be no, awful, he's not interested. 18 months, this went on. Anyway, out of the blue, uh, my friend turns up to our little prayer meeting, and he says, you never guess what, Uh, this guy with the weird name, Takes himself, took himself off to Christianity Explored this week 
took himself off to Christianity Explored. And by week three, he'd become a Christian. It's remarkable, isn't it? This, uh, we'd been praying him for, for him for 80 months. He was the person you'd least expect to become a Christian. My mate had been praying for him for years. Well, God uh, knew better than us, didn't he? We didn't think that God really wanted him. We didn't, I think if we're truly honest, didn't think that uh, God could make this bloke a Christian. But after three, work, three weeks hearing the gospel, he bowed the knee and decided to follow Jesus. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Well, as you go into your pods, I hope you're in a pod, you're in our small group system, take this mindset with you. Take God's heart with you that he wants salvation for all. Chapter 2, verse 4, God wants everyone to be saved. It's an extraordinary truth. It really shapes the letter as we go through it. It shapes the letter and it should shape our church as we take on God's heart. Shape our hearts. It should shape our prayer life. We shouldn't give up. We shouldn't lose heart. We shouldn't think that God doesn't want our friends to be saved. We shouldn't think that God can't save our friends. Our God does not lose heart, and he wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, he says. We need God's heart if we're going to sort our prayer lives out. Secondly, uh, we need to remember God's uniqueness. God's uniqueness, one ransom for all. Have a look with me at verses 5 and 6. Paul puts this uh, weird kind of, slots this weird uh, hymn in the middle of uh, the passage. He says, verses 5 and 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself, human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. What Paul is saying here is that if people are going to be saved, if they're going to become Christians, if they're going to be saved from hell, then there's only one way that's going to happen. There's only one way. Jesus, just like the sign in the tower block over the bridge, there's only one way. Jesus. Jesus is the one mediator. In case you didn't know, a mediator is somebody who brings two people together when they're having a barney. Uh, gets them talking again, gets them resolved so they can sort out their differences. Well, Jesus is the go-between. He's the mediator between God and humanity so that we can be on speaking terms with him. We're born as enemies of God. But Jesus means, Jesus' work on the cross means that we can speak to him. We can pray to God. We can ask him for, a, for a people like my dad. We can know God because of the work that Jesus has done. Paul lays out uh, uh, Jesus' qualifications here, doesn't he? He says that he is Jesus the human. The only Jesus is qualified and capable of doing the work of reconcil- reconciling man and God, because he is both man and God. He's the one and only. He's the one mediator. And Jesus is also the one ransom, verse 6. 
language is the language of the slave trade. Language of the self, slave trade or, or a Mel Gibson film, if you're that way inclined. Um, you know the films where the, the, the millionaire's son gets kidnapped, put in a dark room, and the suitcase of cash gets left on the park bench uh, for the police to, police to nab him. Paul is saying here that Jesus is the negotiator and he's the suitcase full of cash. That He pays the ransom. He pays the price with his blood. Who does he pay that ransom for? Have a look with me. Look down at the verse. He pays the ransom for all. You see the repetition that we're getting through these verses? The repetition of all. To be saved by Jesus, we need Jesus as our mediator. And we need Jesus as our ransom. And he dies for all. There's no other way. There is no other way. Now that is massively offensive, isn't it, to our world? To say that Jesus is the only way. That only his death secures reconciliation with God. It's massively offensive because it says that all religions don't lead to God. That good works don't buy you your way to God. That your quiet times and your religious deeds and your church attendance and your small group membership, none of that matters if we don't know Jesus. If he is not our mediator, if he has not paid our ransom. It's massively offensive. I've had loads of conversations with people over the years about uh, what, they, what their kind of understanding of God is, what they think will happen to them after they die. And uh, you're probably the same. I think most of your friends will be the same as mine. Uh, they kind of have this mindset that if I'm not a murderer, if I haven't done anything too bad, then I'll be all right. That God and I have got this kind of understanding. They think that it, because they're decent, God will think they're decent. Because they're a nice bloke, God will think they're a, a nice bloke. But this verse tells us that the only way we'll have an understanding with God is through the mediation and the ransom of Jesus. There's only one way. There's only one way. There's only one way. And we, uh, we need to be praying, don't we? We can't, if that is how people are to be saved uh, with Jesus, we need to be praying. And we need to have an urgency in our prayer for that one way. Uh, you know how things get when they, they close the harbour bridge down and there is only one way across the harbour. It becomes pandemonium. Everyone is trying to get to that bridge uh, so that they can get home at night. It's frantic. Uh, people want to get across the bridge. Well, how much more should we uh, urgently want our friends to get to the one way that will take them to God. Too often we're not fussed, are we? We're happy to come along to church. We're happy to clothe ourselves in good works and religious deeds. Sometimes we can be more like a sailing club 
than a lifeboat. We need to remember the uniqueness of God in Christ. The one ransom for all. We can stop believing that Jesus is the only way because we like our friends and we start to take on their mindset that they are a nice bloke, therefore God thinks that they're a nice bloke. I wonder whether you've found yourself thinking like that, that somehow people will be okay because they're nice or that somehow uh, they will uh, get to heaven because they've done good things. We probably wouldn't articulate it, but we can get into that mindset of saying, Actually, I don't, there's no urgency to tell that person the gospel or to pray for that person because somehow God will like them. Or have we given the rans- uh, Christ's ransom the same value that God has done? God has given the blood of his precious son to ransom us, to pay the price. We just need to look at the cross and see the price. But we also need to look at the cross and see what our rescue is from. Do you think that Christ really does the mediating? Do you really believe that? Somehow we get into this mindset that that as we pray that Christ doesn't actually take our prayers to God. Paul says there is one mediator and one ransom. And he wants all people to be saved. We don't need to get into clever tactics and strategies for how our friends might be saved. We just need to get on our knees and pray that they would know the one mediator and uh, uh, benefit from the one ransom. There is no other way by which people can be saved than Jesus Well, thirdly, if we're going to sort our prayers out, we need to know God's method. God's method, and that is proclamation to all. Have a look with me at verse 7. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. And a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. See, Paul uh, wants us to know That God's method to save people is not just uh, the church being this quiet and tranquil, uh, insular thing. His method is the proclamation of Jesus. That's how people are going to be saved. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul told us that he has been appointed by Christ, by God, to take the news of the gospel to the world. And in verse 7, he says that that, that, that he is to take it even to the Gentiles. So the people the world least expected to be God's people. So that people would be saved. That's Paul's job. And Paul gives that job to his people. You can't just be this silent church. We need to be committed to prayer and proclamation in this place together. We need to be proclaiming We need to be a proclaiming church. Uh, You see, it's as we pray, the gospel goes out. We need to be like one of those, my kids have got those Furby dolls. Do your kids have those? They don't shut up. You can't turn them off. They just keep talking. 
Well, we need to be the church that doesn't shut up about Jesus, that keeps proclaiming Jesus. Paul's given this uh, job to our church leadership, and we need to make sure that as as a church, we are proclaiming the gospel clearly. But he's given us all the job uh, uh, all the job of getting behind the proclamation of the gospel, sharing the gospel with the people in your office, scheming how you might do that better in Kirribilli, funding missionaries so that the gospel can be taken to the world. That's what we're meant to be doing. But of course, without prayer, that is just noise, just inintel- unintelligible n- noise. I wonder whether you've ever thought about how you might proclaim the gospel. Perhaps you need to think about going overseas. Perhaps you need to think about giving in your secular jobs so that you can preach the gospel full time. You see, when our proclamation is fueled by our church's prayers, then God's method of saving people is in action. We're to be sharers. We're to be schemers so that the gospel will be proclaimed. Uh, I was chatting to my Muslim friend, uh, a friend of mine who works with um, Muslim people. He's an Iranian Christian. And I I, I was chatting to him uh, with this in mind. Uh, And I kind of said to him, how do you go about proclaiming the, how do you go about proclaiming the gospel to Muslim people? Uh, As if there was some kind of special strategy for for, for sharing the gospel with Muslim, pe- with Muslim people. And um, he said, Andy, I just make friends with them. I make friends with them. I'm Iranian. We make friends easily. And then I pray for them. And then I invite them to read the Bible with me. And he said, Andy, if God wants them in his kingdom, then nothing is going to stop him from doing that. Extraordinary, isn't it? How many of us pray for our friends? Invite them to read the Bible. Invite them to a gospel talk. Give them, uh, give them a gospel message on an MP3. How many of us do that? To my shame, I've not done that enough. We need to be doing that because if God wants that person in his kingdom, nothing is going to stop him. And God wants all, 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 everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. Do we see uh, that it is of first importance that God wants people to hear the gospel? We get scared by the prospect of sharing the gospel with people, don't we? I always get really nervous about telling people that, 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 that I went to church at the weekend sometimes. Those intimidating people, the people that seem to have everything. Well, one preacher said that if we don't share the gospel with our friends, if we don't want them to hear about Jesus, then either we don't believe the gospel or we don't love our friends. Pretty harsh, pretty harsh, but it is a sobering statement. There's truth in that, isn't there? That's why we need to pray, because when we pray, opportunities arise. When we pray, the gospel goes out. When we pray, People start being saved because God wants all people to be saved. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it as 
uh, one-man teams, one-woman teams. We need each other to pray for each other, to remind each other of God's heart, to remind each other of the one ransom for all, to remind each other that no one is going to become a Christian unless the gospel is proclaimed. Well, perhaps we need to realign our priorities when it comes to prayer. I couldn't resist uh, talking about the monthly prayer meeting. Perhaps we need to to make the monthly prayer meeting a priority, not an an additional option. We had a great prayer meeting the other week. We prayed big and bold things for God, that uh, of God, that the gospel would go out around the world. It's amazing. Perhaps we need to be committing to pray on our own regularly for everyone, especially those in authority. I've now got the whole of North Sydney Council in my prayer diary. I've also got all these people from the federal government and the state government, which will come in handy when I do my citizenship test. But we need to have that kind of rigor, that diligence. Paul says, pray for all people so that the gospel would go out and God's trophy cabinet would be filled up. We're to be a lifeboat, not a sailing club, a gospel-proclaiming lifeboat that commits to, prayer for, commits to pray for everyone. We need God's heart. We need to know God's uniqueness in Christ, the ransom for all. And we need to remember God's method of proclamation to all. Prayer is difficult. Prayer is hard. But it matters because God wants all people to be be saved. Prayer matters enough to give us Jesus to be a ransom and a mediator, to be our go-between so that we can talk to him. Prayer matters because it fuels the proclamation of the gospel. And without prayer, uh, the gospel proclamation is just noise. So will you pray for everyone, even Gillian Skinner? Will you commit to pray? Commit to pray as a church, as individuals, so that we would be the lifeboat, not the sailing club. That we would be the trophy cabinet of saved sinners and nothing less. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we are sorry when we've been insular, when we have been concerned with our club, when we have not prayed because we have not believed that you are capable of saving people or desiring to save people. Father, would you give us your heart? We need your help. Father, would you help us to remember your ransom? And Father, would you make us proclaimers of your great gospel? We do praise you for that privilege. And we pray that you would work through us and in us, we pray. Amen.